Let's pray. Father, we have been now two weeks and uh, this morning going to take a third look at uh, John 15, 1-11. I ask, Father, that You enlighten the eyes of our hearts in order that we might see the glory and love of Jesus Christ. The glory and love of You, our Heavenly Father. The glory that You bestowed on Christ. The love You bestowed on Him in order that we might understand the glory and love that You bestow on us because we are united to Him. I pray in His name. Amen. As I mentioned in my prayer, this is the third sermon in the series on abiding in Christ. And uh, we are going to look this morning at verses 7 through 11 in particular. However, I have not mentioned this um, during this series, uh, but I know I've mentioned it in other contexts. John 15 contains my favorite verse in all of Scripture. If I had a life verse, it would be here in this 15th chapter. Verse 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I've kind of avoided why this is such an, an important and, uh, and dear passage to me until this last sermon. So, um, I've got a lot of nervous energy because I want, to, I want to preach my heart about this passage, but I'm not sure how that will go. Um, I've entitled this sermon, Christian Largesse. What does this word largesse mean? Well, it means generosity over and beyond what would normally be expected. Hurricane Katrina was a big event in the life of our nation. It brought tremendous destruction to the Gulf Coast. Many people from around the country took off. Uh, They took off from their families. They took off from their work. They even took off from their lives for a period of time to go down to the Gulf Coast and volunteer and help those uh, who lost everything to put their lives back together. Some of you from our congregation went down and uh, to help bring relief. There were many very remarkable things that resulted from these relief trips. There were a lot of stories that were being told on the television and in the various churches, even in our church, about some of the things that happened uh, on the relief trips, the, the blessings that were brought to those who volunteered as well as the blessings that were, were brought to those who received the mercy. One of the things that resulted from these relief trips is a new word entered into our nation's vocabulary. The relief groups uh, learned a a Cajun word from uh, southern Louisiana. The word is lanyap. 
Any of you heard of Lanyap? Few of you, okay. Uh, it's a synonym for largesse. It means an extra helping. Once you've had your helping, well, you're going to get a little bit extra. In southern Louisiana, for instance, if you go down to the market and you buy some shrimp, they're going to give you the uh, shrimp that you paid for and a little bit extra. That's lanyap. Um, it's many shopkeepers in Louisiana. If you go and you buy some groceries or you buy some product from whatever their store, they're going to throw in some candy for the children. That's lanyap. Or it's, it's kind of like the, the baker's dozen, you know, that 13th donut that you get for free. There's a PCA church in, in southern Louisiana called Lanyap Presbyterian Church. And they named this church Lanyap because this concept of, of Lanyap is, um, is an unexpected gift like the grace of God. It's unearned. It's unmerited. God simply lavishes His grace upon us in Jesus Christ as a free gift. This is basically what's happening in our passage this morning. God has given us lanyap, if you will. We've been looking at this concept of our union with Christ. I want to do a little review for those who may not have been here. Uh, Jesus as I've been saying, it's not simply walking beside us in a disconnected manner. It's nice to have Jesus walking beside us. But what the Bible teaches here in John 15 is He's not just walking beside us, but He's in us. He dwells in us. He's taken up residence in, in our soul. And not only is He in us, we are also in Him. We dwell in Him. There's a oneness that we have with Jesus Christ. This connection is so essential, so fundamental, that if the branch were to be disconnected from the vine, the branch would wither and die. And that's the, the, the extended metaphor that Jesus is uh, using here in John 15 about the, the, the vine and the branches. So to review a little bit more, this idea of Jesus dwelling in us and we in Him is called by the theologians the doctrine of our union with Christ. We are united to Christ by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He binds us to Christ. He unites us to Him. And the Holy Spirit physically lives in our souls. And so when the Holy Spirit binds us to Jesus, the entire work of Christ becomes ours. Every benefit is ours in Christ. All the riches of God's grace are ours in Christ. Our union with Christ, as I said two weeks ago, is our salvation. Because Christ became sin on the cross to pay the penalty of sin's guilt, we, being united to Him, are forgiven. Because Christ lived a perfectly righteous life, we, being united to Him, are perfectly righteous in God's sight. When God the Father looks at us, He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because Christ is the Son of God, we, being united to Him, 
are God's dearly loved children. Because Christ rose from the grave, we, being united to Him, have been resurrected from spiritual death. Because Christ is in heaven, we, being united to Him, are presently citizens of heaven. Because Christ is in heaven, we, being united to Him, will go to be where He is. This overwhelming grace that God has given us is simply because of our union with Christ. The benefits of Christ, because we're united with Him, become ours. But then, even beyond this that I've already mentioned, there are four further benefits. These benefits are lanyard. The first benefit is found in verse 7. So you see verse 7, If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So Jesus promises not only this salvation and all these benefits we get in Christ, but He also says that on top of all that, we have effective prayer. He promises us that our prayers will be effective. But... This is not a big but. This is a small but. This is a good but. It is, there are two conditions to this promise. And again, these conditions are not a bad thing. The first condition is that you must abide in Christ. Remember that there's a difference between our union with Christ and our abiding with Christ. You can be united to Christ and nothing can ever change that fact. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither height or depth, width or breadth, nothing under all creation is able to separate you from the love of Christ, the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're united to Him, nothing is able to separate you. So our union with Christ cannot be interrupted. But your abiding with Christ can be. A Christian can be living a life that is self-centered and that is entangled with sin. And because of that, you may not be abiding with Christ. Even though you're unioned with Him, you may not be abiding with Him. When Jesus says here, uh, abide in me in verse 4 and I in you, what He's talking here about, when He says abide in me, that's in the active voice. It's something that we are to do. A person who is living for self, even though they may be a Christian, is not abiding in Christ. Because they're living um, for self as their chief goal, their assurance that God will hear their prayers is going to be smaller, may even be non-existent. Their prayers will likely be driven because of being a Christian, they're going to pray, but those prayers might be driven more by duty or by fear that God's going to be angry with them rather than being driven by a loving fellowship Uh, with Jesus Christ. So there will be little faith 
in the prayers of those who are not abiding. There may be small faith, but uh, it will not be the great faith. And the prayers will not be as effective. Because Jesus here says, if you abide in Me, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So their prayers are not likely to be effective with God. A.W. Pink, this is completely off subject for a moment, but A.W. Pink says it is his opinion that Christians sin more in their efforts to pray than in any other thing they engage in. He said what hypocrisy there is where there should be truthfulness. What uh, irreverence there is when there should be reverence. And he goes and lists a whole number of things. It may be surprising to think that Christians sin in their prayers. A lot of us are like, God, I'm just glad that I prayed for 30 seconds before I fell asleep. And so, um, just because we are mouthing words to God doesn't mean that our prayers will be effective. The first condition is you need to be abiding with Christ. Additionally, if they're not abiding with Christ, their prayers are likely to be self-centered rather than God-centered. Many Christians, because they're not abiding with Christ, they fail to recognize that prayer is not simply getting God to do what you want Him to do. John Piper says, God is God. He does not run the world by hiring a consulting firm called Mankind. He lets Mankind share in the running of the world through prayer to the degree that we consult with Him and get our desires in tune with His purposes. You see the difference? A lot of us want our will to be done and we try and bring God in to do our will. And biblical prayer is lining up with God's purposes, lining up with God's promises, and seeking Him. So the first condition for effective prayer is that we be abiding in Christ. You know, if we're receiving all our nourishment from Christ, if He is our chief goal and our delight, then His desires will more naturally be our desires. There's a second condition uh, if we're going to have effective prayer, and that's that God's Word or Christ's Word abides in us. There's no difference between God's Word and Christ's Word. Uh, the Word of God and prayer work in conjunction with each other. God's Word must guide our prayers so that we learn what God's will is as we pray. God's Word also builds builds our faith in our prayers as we read God's promises. And we say, God, You have promised, and that's not a reality in my life. And so we lock into Christ uh, even more and we pray more fervently. We pray with a sense of desperation. Jesus, bring this promise to bear in my life. And because it's a promise... We're assured that He's going to do it. And so instead of slacking off and saying, well, He's sovereign and He'll do it in His own time and, and I don't have to worry about that, rather it has the opposite effect. It encourages us, it drives us in prayer. 
And then God's Word also transforms us. And as we're walking more closely with Christ, we have this assurance that we are praying to Christ as our best friend rather than some distant rule maker that we have to obey. Abiding in Christ and having His Word at work in our soul is vital, is fundamental for effective prayer. There is so little effective prayer, in my opinion, because God's people are so unaccustomed to abiding in Christ. There is so little effective prayer because God's people are so ignorant and unfamiliar with God's Word. Uh, we, several of us read John Piper's books and know a, a, a good deal about his ministry uh, up in Minneapolis. He took a survey in his church of how often people read their Bible in his church. And the survey came back that the average person uh, reads their Bible uh, five less than five minutes a week. And... Um, How is your Bible reading? And are you reading the Scriptures because you want to fellowship with Christ? Because you want to abide with Him? You love Him and you know He loves you. And so you're drinking in His Word rather than slavishly uh, checking a checklist off on your to-do list. But when we're abiding in Christ... And His Word is dwelling in us richly. We have confidence. Our prayers are a loving fellowship with Christ. We know that we are united to Him. And so when we appear before God's throne of grace, we know that it is as if Christ were appearing in our stead. Because we are united to Christ. When we appear, Christ also appears. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. And since the Father refuses nothing to Christ, then we can know that He will answer our prayers. And I think that's what He's saying in verse 7. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's the first benefit, and that's the longest benefit. The second benefit of abiding in Christ is um, in found, found in verse 8. Verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove yourselves to be my disciples. This is, a, this is another lanyap, another blessing. Do you realize that because of your union with Christ... You are, God helps you to bring glory to Him. That's a byproduct of your union with Christ. Our life will be a living, active billboard for God's glory. Now, how does that work? Well, look again at verse 8. He says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove or demonstrate, yourself to be my disciples. So as we are bearing fruit, 
because of our abiding with Christ. Non-Christians see us. And they see the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And it's attractive to them. And they begin to understand as we talk with them that this is simply a byproduct of Jesus' love for us. He died for the, on the cross for us. He rose from the dead from us, for us. We are united to Him. We are able to have joy in our sufferings. We are able to have patience around or in the midst of impatient circumstances. All because of Christ. We reflect Christ. We're a living billboard to God's glory. Let me return to a familiar theme. We exist for God, not vice versa. The branch exists for the benefit of the vine. The branch has the leaves that can draw in the oxygen and things like that. We are fruitful for God. We are not fruitful exclusively for ourselves. The branch, or the vine does not exist for the branch. The vine is essential for the branch. The vine does wonderful, great, marvelous things for the branch. But the branch exists for the vine. We will be effective witnesses for Christ by being fruitful. That's why we exist. We exist for God. God doesn't exist for us. Thirdly, abiding in Christ produces obedience. Look at verse 10. I'll I'll read verse 9 as well. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. First question I would ask is, how could there be fellowship with Christ without delighting in His will? Christ abided in the Father's love by being obedient And so it's natural that we're going to do likewise. The natural impulse of being connected to Christ and having the Holy Spirit at work in us is that we're going to seek to be obedient to the commandments of God. And we know that disobedience dulls the conscience. Disobedience darkens the soul. Disobedience deadens our spiritual energies. And so we want to avoid disobedience. We want to be obedient. Because we love Christ and want to abide in Him. That is the goal of a Christian. That is the heart's cry of a Christian. To be obedient to Jesus. And so he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The opposite is true. If you're not keeping his commandments, you're not abiding in his love. And the obedience that he's requiring of us is not just haphazard obedience. A little obedience every day um, keeps God at bay. No. The the obedience that God is looking for 
is the obedience that all that Jesus offered to the Father. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. We want to abide in His love. And it's our joy to, to obey His commandments. If you don't love obedience, what it means is you don't love Jesus. You may love self. You may love the world. You may love idols. Who knows? But if you don't love obedience, you don't love Jesus. Because obedience is the way that we abide in, in His love. And we that's what a Christian is, is someone who loves Jesus. Problem is, we're not obedient, are we? This is where John 15.5 comes in. This is why this is so important to me. If we're honest, we're, we're not obedient. John Knox. Um, listen to him later in his life as he's looking at himself. He says, In youth, mid-age, and now after many battles, I find nothing in me but vanity and corruption. J.C. Ryle, who wrote the book called Holiness, one of my favorite books and a godly saint in the 19th century. He said, We need no bad company to teach us and no devil to tempt us in order to run into sin. We have within us the beginning of every sin under heaven. Martin Luther, he said, I fear what is within me more than what comes without. And he was threatened with death by the Roman Catholic Church many times. John Wesley, the worst of my foes, I fear the enemy within. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that's true of us. And so John 15, verse 5, that last little phrase is so important to me, where Jesus says, Without me, you can do Nothing. What this continually teaches me is the difference between the Pharisee at the front of the church and the tax collector who was so humbled by his sin that he kept his eyes uh, bent down and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. What happens is because we long for obedience, it starts a cycle in our lives. And the cycle is, I want to obey God with all my heart because I'm a new creation in Christ. The Holy Spirit's living in me. But I can't. Like the Apostle Paul says, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I hate, that's what I end up doing. Oh, what a wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. And so I can't. So then what that does is because I love Him, but I can't do anything apart from Jesus, I thirst for Him. And I thirst for that full and complete obedience that He promises us that we will have, that we need in order to abide in His love. And as I begin to thirst, 
then the next step in this cycle is I begin to pray. And I'm not just praying, God help me to be obedient, amen. Help me to have a good night's rest, amen. You know, it is is my heart pouring out. God, I want to be obedient. That's my heart's desire. I can't, but I desire it more than I desire life itself. Help me, God. Help me, God. Help me, God. And then the last element of that cycle is I shine because it is me abiding in Christ. It is Christ shining in me. It is His joy in me. And that's what Jesus says. Remember how Jesus started out the upper room talk, John 14, verse 15. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Remember that? Well, He's still on that subject. And so He tells them in verse 11, and this is the last point, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In other words, don't let your heart be full, be troubled, but rather have full joy, have abundant joy. And if you look closely at this passage, and it, I, I didn't see this for years. Look at it. He says, these things I have spoken to you that, not joy, but my joy will be in you. He's giving them His joy. This is full, abundant joy. What is this joy? Well, how do you get it? If Jesus is your joy, you'll have this joy. If you if Jesus is not your joy, you won't have this joy. The, um, the, the joy of the Lord comes from having Jesus as your joy. You'll have joy in trials, James tells us. You will be able to have, to rejoice in your sufferings, Paul tells us. You have joy in your difficulties. You will be able, as Paul commands us in Philippians, to rejoice always. And he says, I will say it again, rejoice. So if you have Jesus as your joy, you will abide in Christ and you will have all these benefits. One more item that I added in this morning. I didn't really know know where to go with this. But I'm going to put it as the final uh, application. Because obedience is impossible in and of ourselves, what we do is we bend our expectations of being obedient down. We bend it downward to match our experience. But... um, What God tells us is to bend our expectations upward to meet God's promises. And it will empower your prayer life because you'll be crying out to God, help me. It will empower your Scripture study because you'll want to fellowship with God. And so remember that cycle. I must, I can't, I thirst, I pray, And then I shine. Let's pray. Father, we've been considering um, experiential Christianity. Uh, We've been discussing 
uh, how we can abide in Christ, a subject that we don't talk nearly enough about. Father, I ask that you would help uh, your people to abide in Christ and have effective prayer to be glorifying to you by bearing much fruit, by being obedient to your commandments, and by having that fullness of joy that is nothing other than Jesus' joy, because He is our joy. We pray in His name. Amen.